0: i intend to do when i have nothing else better to do is actually look at the late saints that leslie charteris wrote and try and work out whether there's any difference in style between the 30 years essentially between when he first started and when he finished but it has given me a much fuller understanding of the character because if you look at how roger moore plays him and I have to say, I can't think of anyone better.
1: Why Why go anyone else?
0: From the eyebrow to the smooth, rather smug, let's not put the point to it, attitude, and the raised eyebrow and the fact that it explains an awful lot of the tropes that we were talking about in the showcase last week. Confidence. And that's right. He doesn't appear to be rattled at all, even when he is held at gunpoint and he's waiting for the police or some poor wretch to sacrifice themselves (laughs) in order to save him he scarcely turns a hair so you can understand how rog might have played him but i think that's just rog anyway
1: he he, he thrived in a role like that thrived in a role like that Uh, it's you know always interesting to to figure out uh you know is there going to be like an origin story you know because obviously in the the feature film version, one with Val Kilmer, there's uh, an mm. attempt at, a, at an origin story because it, it's explained that he had very harsh upbringing at a boys' school.
0: I suppose a bit like Convent Girls. Mm. Uh, that is sort of rebellion. So if you're brought up by Jesuits, not saying the saint was brought up by Jesuits, but if you're brought up harshly, then mm. you m- might rebel.
1: Do they ever say who his
0: parents were?
1: Well, in the film, uh, it's he's meant to be, you know, like a um, an orphan, um, I guess. Um, a person who won't let in love, as they say in the trailer. Um, and when he is in his various disguises and alter egos and doing all his Dick Emery stuff, all the names he chooses as Elizabeth Shue correctly identifies at a later time in the film, um, are all the names of Catholic
0: saints. It's bound to leave its mark, isn't it? I haven't completed the stories yet. I just got to uh, a bit where his extremely elaborate plan has been thrown out by a bus breaking down and stopping his mate getting to somewhere uh, an hour earlier. Is it not a rail
1: replacement service?
0: Something like that. Anyway, the saint's been carted off at gunpoint. And you sort of think, this could actually be a very short career. But (laughs) this was in the days when the saint hadn't struck fear into every villain in London. Yes, very
1: rough and ready, isn't he,
0: as a character? Yeah, but very smooth. And dare I say condescending to a lot of people. Uh,
1: But he can afford to be that confidence. That very yeah. fine
0: line between confidence and arrogance. Which quite possibly he crosses several times. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I thought that was quite interesting in terms of where the character comes from. I'm not a particularly au fait with the Hollywood movies which featured him and George Sanders played him. And- George
1: Sanders, uh, Louis Haywood had a go at it first. Yeah, the, the idea. I think Hugh... That Hugh Beaumont might have been, or Hugh Hugh someone, um, but there was that very confusing time where George Sanders played the Saint, then very quickly they moved him into playing the Falcon, which was very much like the saint, and when George Sanders was beginning to rather do too well for himself, uh, they did that clever trick of saying, "Well, can we get someone who's a bit like George Sanders, uh, and so they got Tom Conway, who was his brother. <laughs>
0: Yes, this is quite possible that Kieran might suddenly appear on this podcast then.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Yes, just filling in, <laughs> bringing a more operatic scope to proceedings.
0: <laughs> so that uh, probably is worth exploring in greater detail when I got round to finishing the book. Yes, hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Black and White Television's review show, where we are marching through the black and white episodes of The Saint uh, starring Roger Moore, currently on series two, which is currently being broadcast on uh, Talking Pictures Television. And we did, in our last review show, mention the upcoming Luella. And I have to say, I sat down and watched it. I didn't have great expectations about it, apart from Sue Lloyd, obviously. But I think this is possibly the best... Saint episode so far Because the script And the performance It's like something that Billy Wilder's put together And they cram it all into 48 minutes It, it,
1: it, it does have a lot of Farce elements to it There is perhaps less of a body count Than we may be experiencing Or, or used to uh, But in terms of knockabout, good humoured fun uh, It takes some beating
0: yeah, I was just very, very impressed. I think we might leave that on the hard drive of the video recorder for a while because it is such good fun. Praise goes to Roy Ward Baker, who directed it. And the screenplay was by Saint Script showrunner Harry W. Junkin. And I do think that the Billy Wilder comparisons are valid because I was looking at Al Hedison's character, who's a bit problematic. We'll discuss that. in a bit. But I could actually see Jack Lemmon playing that. Yeah, it's perfectly viable.
1: Luella starts off uh, with Simon seeing someone he's not seen for about 10 years, an old friend, um, and already we you know, we have those warning signs of, I'm going to have to get my black armband ready and book some compassionate leave, uh, because that's normally what happens to Simon's old friends. But in this case, um, because it's the big league guest star, David Hedison or Al Hedison, we don't have to worry about that. Uh, but what we do have to worry about, you've just alluded to it there is his problematic character because as soon as his um glamorous wife has jetted away dave wants to see um all the hot night spots um around uh london he wants to to go to jazz clubs um he wants booze he wants gambling and more worryingly given that he's married he wants women okay simon this is your town where do we start what exactly did you have in mind? Nightlife, gambling, booze, and most of all, dames. And this is where it gets a little bit problematic, and also it goes a bit Simon light for a little bit because um, what Simon does, and you know Simon does, Simon says, he takes him to all the things that a, a tourist would expect to go to in. London. So they go to the Trooping of the Colour, um, in which there's a, there's a nice royal joke um, and museums and galleries and places like that. And obviously, Dave's champing at the bit to want to go to places. Well, what are you, my friend and my keeper? Bill, I promised Doris that Doris I would... Doris is in Paris. We are in London. And if you don't take me out on the town, I'm going to go by myself. Something fancy, you know, like uh,
0: Chemin de Fer.
1: Right. Roulette. Bill, you have never gambled in your life. Well, I can learn, can I?
0: Famous last words. Come on, international banker. We'll give it a spin. OK.
1: So when Simon drops him off back at his hotel, Dave's still got plenty of gas in the tank uh, and wants to go exploring. And he is given the opportunity by running into, at the bar, um, Sue Lloyd, uh, who he engages with conversation. And she says about how her flat is available for rental. She's about to go away for six months. And he thinks, oh, wait a minute, this might be an opportunity for our flat, which we need in London. But also, wait a minute, Sue Lloyd's a little bit foxy. Uh, And they go back to Sue Lloyd's place. Uh, She is all very alluring, offering a lot of gin and tonic. Um, Dave thinks he's on to a winner because not only is he in an apartment with Sue Lloyd, there's a promise of £20 a week rent. And you just go, crikey, that's a bargain. But then, horror of horrors. At last! Matt! This time, Luella, you have gone too far. He's only a friend. (laughs) Indeed. I've never met him before until tonight. And that is your excuse for this flagrantly immoral behavior? Luella, who is this guy? My husband. What? Her husband bursts in with a private detective and a compromising photograph is taken. And then we realise we're in that thing called the old badger game. Now, I don't know where the term the old badger game stems from. I don't know whether this is a thing badgers do in real life, whether they kind of like line up with one another's mates and kind of put them in compromising positions. I don't know whether that is a quality of badgers? Or is it just harassing people? Because the idea is then that because Dave is caught in that compromising position, um, he's asked to pay a certain amount ma- of money to extricate himself out of that. Now, thankfully, Dave's won a fortune at the roulette table earlier in the night so he can he can pay that off. But then it all begins to unravel and eventually Simon has to come in kind of tidy things up.
0: Which he does with a certain amount of elan. elan. <laughs>
1: yes, he does, Pause. And whether this is like eerily precedent, uh, he pretends to be a spy. At one point, he pretends to be a spy to gain some information as regarding rental of, of uh, Sue Lloyd's flat, uh, and then towards the end, when it's alluded to and found out that, oh, wait a minute. Thank you for, you know, for including me in this mission. And he's identified himself as being James Bond. And this apartment is available from tomorrow for your friends in the FBI. I just can't wait for my next assignment. Me, me working for James Bond. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. You're not just teasing me, are you? You really are James Bond. How weird is that?
0: But of course, yeah. if he told her that he was James
1: Bond, he'd have to kill her. Yes. So, the lovely thing being, obviously, in a few years' time, he was James Bond. And who's his American operator and handler? But Felix Leiter, played by David Hedison. What wow. Wheels within wheels, fires within fires.
0: Yes. I mean, David Hedison's character is, I suppose, a likeable meathead would be the description. He yeah, I'd written down morally reprehensible, but I'll go with the meathead thing. He's a cheat. He's mm. a liar. Yes. He, possibly engaging in treasonous thoughts. Because actually I know that we said that the Queen was never mentioned. Mm. But it's implied that he's got the hots for the Queen. Yeah. Like the who's Tripping the, the who's, that, who's that
1: woman in the in the
0: white coat and the
1: blue hat? And and yeah. Simon whispers something in his ear. And then Dave says, but what? You're joking. Why isn't she wearing a crown?
0: Quite. So it's a good job that he didn't meet Her Majesty at the bar and say, can I rent Buckingham Palace? Oh, total Yes, it's not the sort of behaviour you might expect from an international banker, if that's the right phrase. <laughs> I think
1: it's, it was okay back then, yes. Certainly, it certainly wasn't a
0: term of insult back then. It ends up with a wonderful punch-up where even Sue Light... <laughs> It gets chinned by one of her associates because Simon ducks mm. or somebody ducks. I mean, um, we
1: have we have seen in previous episodes where there have been fast-like elements, um, such as the one where I think Simon's handcuffed to someone and they're trying to escape and they realise they have to oh, wait a minute. I'm gonna have to you bend that way, I go this way. Um, but in this one, it's kind of like full on.
0: Yeah, he just say, I'll go with this because I'm a really good fun. I mean, the dialogue is very snappy, the way it's played. David Hedison is much better than his 110 episodes of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea might imply. Because in that, all he had to do was throw himself across the set whenever they hit turbulence or they were attacked by some kind of monster, and try and avoid the fireworks that kept exploding out of the control very panel. Very dangerous. I don't know who did the electrical wiring and cabling on board uh,
1: the Sea View, but it looked so dangerous. And even you know, the slightest thing would would set those off um, set those sparklers off. But yeah, he was always very serious. He was the voice of reason whereas Harriman Nelson, Richard Basehart, uh, was the wild inventor and the person that would perhaps be the bigger risk-taker. But, yeah, Captain Lee Crane, he was always your voice of reason. Um, Even in those episodes, such as the one where he turns into a werewolf, and I'm not making that up.
0: I may remember that. I mean, actually, when you think about it, you've got a ship Mm that is going where no man's gone before. Mm -hmm. You've got the rather happy-go-lucky guy in charge, Mm -hmm. and you've got the rather serious Mm second-in-command, people might wonder about the parallels and comparisons here. What I would say is that there are only ever two plots in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And one, they were being menaced by some outside force, usually a sea monster. Oh, on one occasion, a leprechaun. Um, yes, they, they
1: sometimes did have uh, recurring villains. Henry Jones as Mister Pym, who always it was I suppose was like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea's version of
0: um, Q from
1: Star Trek: The Next Generation.
0: And then, as you've mentioned, one of the crew would go berserk or turn into another creature.
1: Yeah, be possessed by something. Um, mainly those sparks coming out of those big flashing screens of cubes of light, and you wonder but, I'm not quite sure what what are they
0: for. Well, where Star Trek differs is that it has more plots than that. It's slightly more cerebral, but there's still plenty of of action. You get encounters with aliens. You do get people becoming possessed or uh, taking over, but they encounter weird creatures. They engage in warfare with the Klingons and the Romulans and uh, plenty of other people. Perhaps there's just more room in space.
1: It's noticeable that in the first series of Voice of the Bottom of the Sea, which was black and white, much like the Saint, the main driving stories behind there were spies and intrigue, mainly Russians, because they were the, you know, the villains at the time. Uh, so it would be more spy and counter-spy, uh, and uh, perhaps chasing a Russian submarine round. And then obviously, second and, and third season, um, maybe a new story editor came to town and said, what about... A big sea monster. You just go. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well. Yeah. We'll do that then. And it swallows the flying sub. Ah. But they had also somebody dressed up in a rubber suit who kind of got hold of the Sea View and yeah, the big rock- yeah, the big yeah, the big uh, uh, Aurora kit
1: and and it yes. from one side to the other. And then I was always looking out to see if the performers and actors. Um, perhaps mistimed their running and and kind of like meet in the middle when they were meant to be going from one side of the ship to the other.
0: Yes, uh, I think they may have skipped their movement classes at drama school. (laughs) Yes. So we've digressed into that. But, I mean, obviously, David Hedison, who had already been in things like, as you mentioned uh, last time, The Fly, and, of course, he was in The Lost World with Michael Rennie. Yes. Yeah. So he was a reasonable star and had, you know, a long career after Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which hopefully kept him financially secure because 110 episodes is a fair whack, I would say. It's a good chunk of your CV.
1: And obviously came back to play Felix Leitner in License to Kill um, with Timothy Dalton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's by no means a second eleven player, which you can tell from his performance in Luella because. He is irritating and weaselly and a cheat. Okay. And it's quite good to see Suzanne Lloyd, who's Canadian. I think okay. I wasn't quite sure last time, but hurrah for Canada again. Suzanne Lloyd playing his wife, who has not prepared to put up with this bad behaviour and gives as good as she gets and enters joyfully into Simon's plan. Yeah, to Badger, the Badgers, they pull
1: the carpet from underneath them. So just as Simon appears to be falling victim to the alluring charms of Sue Lloyd and her husband is waiting to burst in with their... um, you know Big flash camera No Wait a minute Someone else bursts in Before them And catches Roger And it's Suzanne Lloyd um, Which makes it Doubly confusing Because <laughs> they get the jump On the On the badgers Do I understand We are here On the same errand The brute After all I've done for him Giving him two lovely children In the best years Of my life
0: No No Barbara and
1: I no I don't know How it happened Be silent woman Madam I'll see my solicitor in the morning, and you can contact me at my club. I'll do anything I can to help. Come, Mr. Carmine. Barbara Anna. I... Don't you ever dare speak to me again. I've got a picture of you and this creature that any court in America will uphold.
0: Suzanne Lloyd with Julian Holloway. Yes, yeah.
1: Uh, And at first you just think, oh, crikey, who's photographing whom now?
0: (laughs) That was quite a wonderful moment. Simon had been playing the lonely husband. And my wife doesn't like sailing. The fact is, Luella, I know you won't take this wrongly. My wife doesn't understand me. Obviously, Sue Lloyd and her associates, they had checked him out, and he'd managed to produce a very good cover story. Samuel P. Taggart, Boston Mass, president of the RELCO Corporation. Personal fortune approximately $10 million. You're
1: kidding. There's more. Taggart is the director of the following companies General Motors, Standard Oil, US Steel, Bank of America, General Electric, ICI.
0: Heavens! And he casually bumps into Sue Lloyd at the same bar, but of course, He's not the famous Simon Templar because he's wearing specs. Uh, Yeah, he's got a slightly different accent. I wasn't entirely convinced about Simon's Boston accent. It sounded terribly like his Texan accent to me. Yeah, I think he needed Robert Easton to help him out there. And the Henry Higgins of Hollywood. Anyway, there was this wonderful punch-up which allowed David Hedison and Suzanne Lloyd to return to marital bliss and to bring up their two boys Hopefully he didn't give them too many tips about how to comport themselves.
1: But yeah, it, you know, it was very good fun. Um like I said there's a huge number of farcical elements. Um and even though there is you know a fight in in an apartment, thankfully no one plunges to their doom from a balcony.
0: Or overboard, which we'll come to. In the next episode, let's just quickly run through the uh, the runners and riders. We've talked about David Al Hedison. Suzanne Lloyd has one Avengers Point and six Saints and countless Westerns in the 50s and 60s, which kind of shows you where the work was. He really did have to wear a frock, ride a horse and drink red eye. Sue Lloyd, one point, and of course she was Cordelia in The Baron for 23 episodes. Elsewhere, Department Desk, The Persuaders, Jason King, Randall and Hopkirk, Two Saints, Gideon's Way, and of course, Jean Courtney in The Icarus File. Aidan Turner had worked with Roger Moore before in a 1958 episode of Ivanhoe. A fair bit of work with Terry Scott and Hugh Lloyd in the 60s. Um, Quite a few single plays and 11 episodes of Crossroads. But he died in 1968, aged only 60. So, you know, Michael Wynne has one point in the very, very creepy house that Jack built with its uh, stark, surreal, psychedelic set design. Elsewhere, single plays the champions Gideon's Way, Virgin of the Secret Service. Do you remember that? Oh, no, I don't. The title promised more oh, than okay. it delivered on the episodes that I was allowed to watch. Public Eye, Three Saints, Ace of Wands, A New Scotland Yard, 92 credits, the last of which was Doc Martin in 2007. Still going strong. Gene Sinclair, Two Saints, amongst other words, uh, but died in 1970, age 52. So there's somebody who also could have done more, given the chance. Now, you remember one of the saint tropes is the coroner's court, Yes, Uh, where you normally have someone who
1: delivers a lot of exposition. And usually you will also have a character, even one without a name, who will ask a load of awkward questions.
0: Right. And not get credited. Mm. So I have discovered who that actor was. And it's none other than John Woodnut, who's a well-known face on television, with 166 credits right up to 1999. 10 episodes of Doctor Who, um, he was in the Doombolt chase, for which, thank you very much. He's in this, he's one of the gang, isn't he?
1: He is one of the people who kind of marks um, the marks, uh, who he suspects will be uh, good people or good victims for the Badger game and passes on some info. That's right. And I
0: don't think he's wearing glasses in this one which makes him go oh, oh, to that's, what him. Oh, that's what threw me um but he was the juror in the saint plays with fire who asked all those awkward questions but didn't uh, get into the credits 13 episodes of swizzlewick which we touched on before which i think it was patrick moher
1: yes you said you really who, who is a tough,
0: uncompromising local counsellor. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm not quite sure how much of it survives. But of course, John Woodnut's career highlight was his one Avengers point in Quick Quick Slow Death. Now, Julian Holloway is a pillar of the acting establishment and a part of the dynasty, son of Stanley, and according to IMDb, he's Jamie Cullum's father-in-law.
1: Ah,
0: well, I never. Peter Fontaine Uh, as one point and lots of other stuff
1: can i just check something as yeah. well, because obviously when we are doing this program, we draw down on a huge raft of uh, research and resources. Sometimes it might be knowledge that we've got rocking around in the back of our heads. Uh, sometimes it will be from biographies. Sometimes it will be from other reference materials. But one of the things that we obviously draw down a lot is IMDB. Um, and IMDB is, is a really useful resource. Um, but in this instance, and you never know, Maybe it is right, but it make a great urban legend because two of the people who are also included in the cast for this is, first of all, Shirley Eaton as as an aircraft passenger. And you just go, well, that's, you know, possible because she she is in a couple of episodes and maybe she was just there and just doing it as a bit of a gag, you know, a bit of a a bit of fun. Um, But the other one. Is Alan Bennett really? According to I didn't IMDb, notice that. According to IMDb, uh, when it when you go below the line or below the fold, and it's it's the people who aren't perhaps credited, but they may be a recognisable face. Uh, a little way down the la- list, it says "Man in Hotel Bar," Alan Bennett. And if you click on the link, there's a picture of dearly beloved Alan Bennett. Um, Now, obviously, at the time in the early 60s, Al was, was quite hot stuff because he'd been in London's glittering West End and he'd also been to Broadway. By that time, he had done Beyond the Fringe. But this idea of him being in The Saint, which made me look at Alan Bennett's acting. And apparently, according to this, he was uncredited in three episodes of The Saint. The Crooked Ring in 1965, Janine in 1964, where he plays a horse racing spectator, and the one we saw the other week, Luella. As to whether this is true or not, I don't know. But to make a mistake of Alan Bennett being in one episode of The Saint might be considered unfortunate. But to say that he's in three, why, that's sheer craziness.
0: Is this going to bear closer scrutiny? The trouble is, that in Luella, there are several bars. Yes. So I am going to have to go through frame by frame oh. to see whether young Alan is there. Can't you just Um, go into Betty's in York
1: and see if he's having a cup
0: of tea in there and ask him? I could do. Though I must admit that actually I've never seen Alan Bennett in Betty's in York. I think it's because he actually goes to the one in Harrogate. Quite possibly. But I have seen Emma Thompson in there. Right, okay. Do you think Um, she'd um, know
1: if Alan Bennett was in The Saint?
0: I think that if I tapped her on the shoulder and asked her, she'd probably give me an Anglo-Saxon answer. (sighs) Uh,
1: But, you know... Things which would count in Alan Bennett's favour at the time is he would have had an equity card, Hmm. would have had acting experience. So, yeah, you don't know. That is something for for us to investigate. Not two, but three. (laughs) I don't
0: think I've seen him uh, mentioned in um, the Avengers Forever cast list, and I'm sure they would have made more of it. If it was Dudley Moore, you could say, well, maybe he's on the piano or something yeah. like. I Don't think be. that's that's an entire programme within itself, I think that is. Yes, well, maybe you could write to him. I mean, you've probably got his diaries, haven't you? you can just go through it for...
1: I used to go to uh, the butchers in Far Headingley. Uh, and I remember on the day that they closed, after they'd been in business for about like 20-odd years, and they were saying about they'd bought the shop, from Alan Bennett's dad. They bought it. It's, like, wow. it, it's a little corner shop. It's now a, now a dry cleaners. And it's just by the Three Horseshoes and just up from the Cafe Loaf. And, yeah, they ran their butchers, two brothers uh, who ran it for years. And like I said, it is now Royale Dry Cleaning. A must for all your dry cleaning
0: needs in the far heading the area. Is there a blue plaque? No, now it's nothing. I think the world of letters can count itself lucky that Alan Bennett decided not to take up charcuterie.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Right, so that dispenses with Luella. I think we'd give that five stars, don't you? Yeah, well done. It was a bit light on St Trope points, apart from the friend who gets into trouble and Simon's disguise.
1: Uh, yeah, I- we like we said. We mentioned the the fact that the saint uh, Saint's friend, as you know, as soon as you hear those fateful words tumble from his lips, uh, but in this case, no, he he survives all the way through to the end,
0: real, and he's learned a lesson. Yes, which Suzanne Lloyd's character will probably reinforce on a regular Never basis. Let him forget. There may be some more points in the Lawless Lady. This is. A case of when you actually check out the description, it says the saint teams up with a dodgy countess, yeah, another one of them, in order to avenge a murder. And you sort of think, that's not quite how this goes, is it?
1: Yeah, that's heavily alluded, you know, the the idea of like, oh, wait a minute, yeah, it's all out for for revenge. But in The Lawless Lady, uh, you have a contessa, Um, in this case played by Dawn Adams as Contessa Audrey Marova, who uh, appears to be the height of respectability within the social uh, arena of London. But... She's actually running a criminal gang, that steals valuable jewelry um, from all of her society chums. Rog cotton's onto this very, very early on. We're not quite sure how. And it appears that uh, on one of their previous robberies, two of her hench people accidentally killed someone. Maybe they did it on purpose um, because she's an advocate of robbery, but no violence. Um, whereas her renter thug compatriots, one of them being Julian Glover, uh, is all for sometimes a bit of rough stuff. Um, I couldn't help it; he had it coming. Uh, and so Rog Simon starts this hugely elaborate plot to ensure that the lawless lady gets her
0: comeuppance. First, it involves him engineering a near accident in a car, presumably spontaneously when he saw her Bentley driving past.
1: Yeah, it does all seem a, a little bit haphazard. Uh Again, we've spoken before about Simon's uh, unpredictability at times and, and lack of a career path or a career plan. Uh You know, again, his diary, it just probably just says, um this week, adventure. You know, <laughs> nothing specific or, or <laughs> times or dates or locations or anything like that. The week after that just says intrigue. Uh, and you just think, oh, Simon, can you be a bit more specific? What are you up to? Exactly. Uh, and we're never quite sure. So, yes, yeah, certainly it seems to be when he's driving around London in his swanky Volvo with personalised number plates. Uh, yeah, he just seems to, oh, you know what? Um, there's so and so. I know. No, they're a uh, uh, robber. I'll just go and drive into them. I'm terribly sorry. Solly, there is a halt sign there,
0: you know. You practically rammed me.
1: Any damage, Hillary?
0: Well, no, my lady, but no thanks to him. The chauffeur is played by Julian Glover. I mean, obviously, he's a star. And one of the reasons why he's a star is he plays an excellent villain most of his career.
1: Uh, he is. Uh, obviously, much later in life, a pair of them would go head to head again in For Your Eyes Only, where Julian Glover, spoiler alert, um, turns out to be the villain. It's not really Topol. At first, you think it is, but it's not him. It's actually Julian Glover's the wrong one. Uh, But yeah, uh, Rog and Julian will go head to head. And in this one, um, again, they sort of go head to head because um, what's quite funny in this uh, is that the only person who really knows what's going on is Julian Glover he guesses everything right
0: i mean most of his dialogue is i don't trust
1: him i don't trust him i think he's handed us over to the police i think so and so has been arrested when he went over to amsterdam to sell the diamonds i don't trust him he's lying he's dealing with the police and you know what right 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 um Julian doesn't put a
0: foot wrong. Except at the end, where he ignores one of your trope warnings to villains who take on the saint in a punch-up.
1: Yeah, um, and, and this is a nice maritime variant on that, where Julian Glover sees the opportunity to bull charge Simon and, no, just goes hurtling
0: over the rail. Well, he doesn't go over the rail. Simon manages to bounce him back against the part of the rail which actually has a gate in it mm. so the gate goes and julian's gone I and mean, you That's already it. get this picture of the cruel sea um yeah man
1: overboard but yeah
0: the gang
1: are obviously rounded up the well-to-do toffs who all come across as incredibly dull and dim uh, they all have their uh jewelry returned but in a nice little twist um, Symes says, um, you'll be able to reclaim your jewellery once you get back to London, and you'll be able to reclaim them at, I think it's a children's hospital. And I'm sure you'd want to pay them a reward. And they
0: they all shuffle a little bit awkwardly and realise that, mm, yeah, I suppose we better add. Well, because one of them has already complained about paying too much tax for somebody else's false teeth. Yes, yeah. that Like I said, they're, they're a dreadful
1: bunch of individuals. But, yeah, we've got Dawn Adams, who is the crooked contessa uh, in this. She's penniless, uh, but still being able to live the life of Riley. Um, obviously, only um, being able to, to live that life because of the dual robberies. And there seems to be some some connection where she gets her uh, one of her cronies to go and flog it over in Amsterdam, I think is where they're, I believe the term. Fence is located
0: because Amsterdam is usually a good place to get rid of diamonds. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I think that crops up again in in future saints. One of the it's not exactly a trope, but I mean it could be if someone's a contessa, they are invariably up to no good. This is whether they're blonde crooked. or not. This is a second crooked contessa, isn't it? And there will be more. Ah, oh, what? <laughs> Ah, oh, um, they're just not to be trusted. Including one played by Kate O'Mara in a colour episode. But this contester appears to be smitten by Simon, and we'll hear no ill-spoken of him. No, won't. And uh, Simon
1: does that thing of, oh, wait a minute, is he pretending that he robbed someone and stole their jewels? Um, no, he actually goes and steals their jewels. He then goes to his old chum in the police, Inspector Teal, to say that, I have stolen these jewels, but it wouldn't you much prefer to get your hands on a big jewel robbery rather than just me for stealing these jewels? Yeah, you just go, he, yeah, okay,
0: yes, I'll go along with this. Which is fine, but he actually doesn't deliver because all of this is taking place in the south of France. Mm, yeah, Thiel yeah. manages to arrange for the Amsterdam police to nick the guy who's gone to fence the huh? proceeds of the last robbery. and then. The villain who committed the murder, or is it manslaughter? Mm-hmm. Not quite sure, my lord. He's gone overboard. Yeah. So, unless they, his body washes up somewhere, I don't know if it's case closed on that. And Simon's warned the Contessa not to go back to England because she'll get banged up. So really, Teal's not got much to show for that act of generosity, has he?
1: No, because all the the stolen merchandise is going to be returned because Simon offloads it to a chum of his who owns a fast boat. Inspector Teal doesn't get a result, does he?
0: Doesn't get a collar. He he certainly doesn't. And talking about Dickie Tremaine, who's this friend who has the fast boat, Mm. I can't remember if Dickie Tremaine was one of the recurring bunch of people that the saint teamed up with in the books. But... It's quite handy. He meets up with him in a corner cafe. Um, Julian Glover is not fooled by this. He's hiding round the corner, but the saint spots him and they and tells him to go away in no uncertain terms.
1: Go away, he says.
0: <laughs> so it turns out that Dickie Tremaine is probably following with his lights turned off and um, happily turns up enough to... Throw himself at the other villain who has a gun pointed at the saint, and then throw him over the park bench. It looks like <laughs> yes, yes. Some um, some strange interior exterior design. Yes, uh, that I'm not entirely convinced that you would find on a luxury yacht. Didn't look particularly comfortable. Maybe they put the cushions inside so they didn't get damp. Uh, so it all ends happily. Presumably, the children's hospital. Probably has to name a wing after Simon Templar, <laughs> Or one
1: of those dull types that have been moaning on about uh, um, having been robbed, but then have it, having everything returned.
0: Yes, Simon manages to strike a blow against the man and some villains at the same time. And not exactly bring a killer to justice, but at least make sure that the killer falls overboard. And... Yeah, and won't rob again. no. We mentioned Dawn Adams. Let's just run through her M.O. Most famously,
1: sense. obviously, Dawn Adams, is a wide-ranging film CV. She was in films like um, Plymouth Adventure with Spencer Tracy at a very, very young age. But um, I perhaps remember first coming across her when
0: HTV started showing Star Maidens. Yes. Um, <laughs> what I've written is possibly best known for 26 episodes of Triangle – Perhaps not for Star Maidens. Oh, see, I'd have put it the other way around. Well, there are a lot fewer episodes of Star Maidens than there were of Triangle, yes. thankfully. But also 20 episodes of Father, Dear Father. And, of course, she was in The Saint before as the very helpful Magda Vernoff in The Fellow Traveller. Yeah. Who saved the Saint's bacon. Mm. Elsewhere, she was in Danger Man. And that 50th Sherlock Holmes Series which was never shown over here but was made in France, exported to America, and has been on Talking Pictures TV. They do tend to repeat the series a bit like, um, is it One Step Beyond or whatever yes, it is? Yeah, well, yeah, that's
1: that's um, that's having another airing at the moment.
0: They're quite fun, but if you go back, Dawn Adams was in one of those. What can you say about Julian Glover? A massive career, and he's still working. If you look he, at his he, eye,
1: and he is massive as well because he's really
0: tall. Well, he's tall, but he's kind sort of fairly lean. With all due respect to him, he has that kind of vulturesque quality. You sort of think, oh, I wouldn't really want to get on the wrong side of him. Yeah, I mean, very effective in Quatermass
1: and the Pit, film version yes. of the late 60s, um, still doing a villainous shtick in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, and whilst not so much the villain, and he's a bit pudding-headed in the fourth protocol.
0: But I remember seeing in, let's face it, a slightly venerable age, in a sex scene in Game of Thrones. God's it holy is,
1: trousers.
0: A, something like 30 episodes of Game of Thrones, which was great. I mean, there were a lot of hefty British 60s thesps appeared in Game of Thrones. And I thought, a sex scene at my age? Yeah, sign me up. If you look at his IMDb page, he's got stuff in post production. So yeah, still still going
1: strong. Um, Still going strong. He's one of those people that uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just just keep going. Um, um, Always, you know, he's always a reassuring and weighty presence.
0: And of course, he has
1: four Avengers points. there it is.
0: That's a bit like a VC in bar, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And can we see him again in the Saint? Will he? Will he be dredged up uh, from the Mediterranean where he fell at the bottom of uh, um, you know that episode? Or will we not
0: see... as the same character? Oh, um,
1: apparently he comes up in 1968 with, and you know what? I'd love an episode entitled this "Invitation to Danger."
0: <laughs> RSPV, yes. please. That has surely in it obviously playing a major role, and yeah, not, not uncredited. Plane, yeah. Uh, and
1: uh, he, he plays a character, Ramon Falcone.
0: I don't think he's
1: British in that. That's my guess. We shouldn't do ethnic profiling, but that's my
0: guess. No, yeah, he's just suave and untrustworthy and menacing, which basically is probably his entry in Spotlight, room, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Need menacing? Give Jules a call. Yay! Who else have we got? John G. Heller, who has... 105 credits in his career. He was born in Czechoslovakia, so he obviously played a lot of Germans in war themed shows <laughs> and various other continental types. He appeared in Maygrave, Moonstrike, Crane, Danger Man, Two Saints, Callan, four episodes of Hugh and I. Um, oh, that, the that, Lotus that, is, it, that, is that the Hugh Lloyd one? Yeah. The Hugh Lloyd and Terry Scott. And, and actually, I noticed that there were quite a few people who seemed to have done work with Hugh Lloyd and Terry Scott or Harry Worth or Benny Hill. Oh, crikey. They are quite happy to indulge in a little bit of red nose stuff <laughs> rather than a more legitimate theatre and uh, adventure television. Lotus Eaters, but most important of all, John G. Heller was in Three Avengers. David Sumner. Has two Avengers points, and he was in Man of the World, Two Sergeant Corks, Man in a Suitcase Department, S, UFO, and Paul Temple. James Bellchamber, two Good points. name. It is indeed. Uh, Zedcar, Softly Softly, Randall, and Hopkirk. Anthea Wyndham, one point, uh, and One Saint, amongst others. Kenneth Bender, we've mentioned him before. Two points. Callan, Doomwatch, Adam Adamant, uh, to name but a few. Dorothy Black was in a May Grey, and most of her other roles uh, appear to be Lady Something. The one who really stands out in this supporting cast Mm -hmm. is Anne Sharp, who seems to to go
1: through um, the, the veritable ITC bingo
0: card. Of what she was in. Indeed. And we've seen her before in the Saint in the Hour of God. There's another Saint to come. She was in the first Randall and Hopkirk and in the Champions and in the Baron. Uh, Jason King for seven episodes as a recurring character. And The Adventurer. Would you like to guess what the family connection was? Oh, what? The name's Sharp.
1: Um, right. My guess. No,
0: no, you're going down the wrong rabbit hole. All right. Okay. Who produced all of those shows?
1: Oh, right. Um, Oh, right. ITC, that would be Lord Grade. Any relation? He just
0: put up the money. So I've listed all of those, all of which were produced by her husband, the legendary Monty Berman. (gasps) Well, I never. I was quite surprised. It's something that I hadn't really come across except in the past few weeks. She did do other things, including two ITV plays of the week. But I think Monty probably knew that she would be available.
1: Mm, and she could give him a lift to work. That's right, yes. because he was very cost conscious. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Bring that show in under budget. I'm not paying for um, a taxi. If oh, no, they're
0: going to give me a lift to work. Because the story is that when you see the water feature in Geneva in the Champions, mm. as a cost-saving measure, he'd actually taken that film himself on a 16 mil on holiday. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but... Um, Would he claim it, it, that
1: holiday as a legitimate
0: business expense? I think you'd probably have to take it up with HMRC. Elsewhere, other people we've got. Um, Edith Savon played a fair share of countesses, ladies and other aristos, including in May Gray, The Informer and The Palaces. And Ernest Blythe, two points and a largely uncredited screen career, including Six Saints and... One hundred and eighty-two appearances. We salute you, sir. So yes, that's the lawless lady, and it would be quite nice if her character reappeared at some stage. I don't know whether she does. They don't tend to do recurring villains. Yeah, because he doesn't have, have an
1: arch enemy as
0: such, does he? There's not
1: that, you know, that big criminal gangster, that criminal mastermind, uh, or or anything like that. There's not that that kind of a uh, um, villain
0: that returns like Batman's foes <laughs> where they all survive they get sent to jail and unlike westerns where people very rarely got sent to jail but died yeah. with their boots on
1: I would imagine in the American West there was very little need for the probation service it's oh wait a minute they're in jail, they're coming up for oh wait a minute, no they're dead or they didn't even make it to jail uh, so, yeah, there'd be if there was a prototype sort of probation service, there'd be very little need for it. Very light caseload, I would imagine.
0: As a pitch to a Hollywood producer, that yeah. probably wouldn't really pass muster, would it? No, we. I, I'm surely a probation officer would have loads of time to do other stuff. Go gold prospecting or something
1: yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Guy, what can we look forward to next? I did look it up. Enlighten me. It's the good medicine. Um, which is helmed by Roy Ward Baker, and it describes it, an ambitious and ruthless career woman takes advantage of her pharmacist husband to build a cosmetics empire of her own based on his innovative formulas. Will the saint give her a dose of her own medicine? I'm going to say yes. We have Barbara Murray, who we've we've seen previously in an episode, uh, and uh, also perhaps a very young Jean Marsh also turns up in this as well. All right. Is
0: this her first appearance? Because I think she's got at least another, I think is it the Scales of Justice? Ah. Where she doesn't play a villain.
1: Oh, um, right. Okay. Um, we've also got some old familiar faces, um, or I guess another way of describing it is old familiar fists. Because um, we've got Austin Cooper, again, one of the most popular brands of cars uh, of the late sixties. <laughs> and we've also got John Bennett. Uh, who we saw the other week um, as well. This looks a little more small scale. It's not like a, um, a big list um, and cast of people. And according to IMDb, Alan Bennett's not in it.
0: Yes, in terms of tropes, I'm, I think it's not going to be a surprise that the wife is the villain. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Right. So yes, the good medicine, and we shall look forward to that. And in the meantime, We're plotting stuff for another showcase edition. Mm. But, of course, you can listen to the last one, which was The Rules of St. Trope Bingo, which is both on the Buzzsprout feed and also in the uh, Soundstation or Soundcloud channel, where, of course, this will be, because that's where the review show lives, but the archive and all the shows we've ever made
1: ever anywhere
0: thank you very much my name's guy morgan my co-host has been david newell this has been rose-tinted black and white televisions the review show and we shall be back with the good medicine and others later on i thank you